have one uh, exciting announcement to share. Uh, some may have been waiting for some news on the vote last week, and it was overwhelmingly uh, in favor to move forward with uh, searching for someone to serve as a youth minister here at uh, Creekside. So we're excited about that. We are uh, going to um, kind of move forward to the next steps and keep you all uh, updated on that. And uh, with that, I'm going to ask Steve to come on up. He's got a prayer announcement. I want to welcome everybody who's here, and then this is your first time with us. Just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're worshiping with us. And the bulletin has a little extra uh, flap on it, and if you would fill it out and put it in the offering box, it's on the welcome table as you leave. That would be much appreciated. We are just grateful for your presence and thankful for you being with us. And uh, for those who may have tried to catch us online, uh, we're not online other than vocally, so uh, we're not... Uh, the video is not working right now today, so that's fine. Uh, I have a couple of things. First of all, Aaron and Kara Jones would like to thank you all for being a great support and encouragement to them after the birth of uh, their new baby. So they're just grateful and appreciate, appreciate that. So you can talk to Aaron, he's here, and Avery are here, but uh, Kara and the baby are still at home, so we're grateful for that. I'd like to have uh, uh, Mary Bristow, I think I'm going to have Mary come on up. Uh, Mary, you come on up here. We're going to pray for Mary. Mary's headed to Haiti again. She just got back from Haiti, so I don't know. She just likes going back and forth. I, I think they should give you a frequent flyer miles or some sort of a, a break on your, your flights or something. I don't know if they will, but we're just to be praying for Mary. There's an announcement in the bulletin. Uh, she's headed back to work at the hospital and do some work. Uh, head of the team that's coming uh, later, but not, not yet, but they'll be later this fall. So uh, let's pray for Mary. Father in heaven, uh, we just want to pray for Mary and uh, for safety and travel. Pray for health and strength. I pray for stamina. It's a quick turnaround for her. Uh, help her to get her mind around what she needs to get around. I pray for she and the, the doctor that's headed there, that as they work as a medical team, that you'd be able to use them powerfully. Uh, for the ministry there in Haiti, for your glory. I pray that you would uh, work through them, not just to do medical stuff, not just to treat people, not just to train people, but to show and share the love of Jesus in a very real and tangible way. We pray for physical safety and we pray for financial support and pray for us to be reminded to pray for her throughout the time that she's there, Father, for you to be working powerfully. We commit her into your hands and thank you, Father, for those who bring good news to, to people. We thank you, Father, for the chance to make your name uh, glorious in, in many parts of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks. Thank you. you bet, Mary. Take care. Thanks. All right. Um, Wow, uh, we got, I got to sing that song that we just sang. I got to sing it twice today, so I'm really excited. We sang it in the first service. We sang it in this service. This service is a little bit different twist on it than the first service, but that, that's, that's great. I'm going to uh, ask you to join me as we commit our time to the Lord and, and prepare our hearts to worship through study of his word and prayer. Father, you are a great and awesome God, and as we just sang, uh, in the midst of the storms of life which come, some of us are in the middle of them right now. Uh, some of us are kind of in the eye of the storm, and some are on the heels of it. I just pray uh, that we would realize and remember that whenever we doubt your love for us, we would look to the cross of Calvary and be reminded uh, there of your great love that transcends all. 
I ask that you'd open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word, that you'd help us to apply these truths to our lives so we can live for your glory and the gain of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I don't know if I was supposed to dismiss the kids for Sunday school. Did I miss that? Uh, that, that happened? Yeah. So, uh, okay. If you're here and you need, you're going to Sunday school, you, you need to meet Miss Rhonda right in the back. So she's ready for you, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I see, uh, uh, Emma, are you, you finished at Hidden Acres now? Yeah, and Ava, you got back and survived, right? Okay, these girls we've been praying for as they were serving in camps are back, so hopefully you can touch base with them after the service and kind of find out what God challenged them with and taught them. Uh, that, that'd be great. Um, okay, the, uh, this morning as I was thinking about the service, I thought, uh, hopefully this is not too political for you, but there's a, a young gal who just recently was elected as a, a congressional candidate in Texas. And on her official website, she has declared that uh, her commitments, her priorities are God, family, and then the country. So she's basically stated right up front, this is where she's coming from. And as I thought about that, I thought, I, you know, I don't know her. I don't know if she has a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know that at all. But what I see from what little I have read about her is that she sort of incarnates uh, puts flesh on the, the, the five marks of bold faith that we talked about last week that we saw in the life of Jonathan. Uh, she, she irritates the opposition, okay? Uh, she's very irritating to them. Uh, she identifies those who, are, who have fake devotion to God, family, and the country. She's really ignored a lot of obstructions because she's came, you know, she's come and, and you know, over, overcome a lot of, of obstructions and she ignores them. She's implemented a plan to get where she's at and uh, uh, finally she inspires others to get involved. But this morning, uh, I want to not focus on what we talked about last week, but move on from that. And we're still in 1 Samuel, chapters 13 and 14, particularly chapter 14. And I, I think that these aren't the only demonstrations of bold faith. And so this morning, I'm going to look at two more from the life of, life of Jonathan. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or your device or reach under the seat in front of you and find a Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And here in verses 24 through 46, we're going to encounter two additional marks of bold faith in those with whom God works and in whom God works for their good or, or their gain and ultimately for his glory, okay? So bold faith in, in those whom God works with and, and, and in whom he works. And so I'm gonna read the text beginning with verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 14 because I'm not sure, but for most of it, it's probably not a real familiar passage. Verse 24, now the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day for Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food, and all the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under the oath. Therefore, he put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, 
put, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people answered and said, Your father strictly put the, man, uh, the, put the people under the oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. Verse 31. And they struck among the Philistines from that day from Mishmash to Ajalon. And the people were very weary. And the people rushed greedily upon the spool and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. And then they told Saul saying, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a great stone to me today. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me his ox or his sheep and slaughter it here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all of the people that night brought each one his ox with him and slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord and it was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and take spoil among them until morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, uh, let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him on that day. And Saul said, Draw near here, all you chiefs of the people, and investigate and see how this sin has happened today. And as the Lord lives, who delivered Israel, though it is Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not one of all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, shall be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord, the God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, and he said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of the staff, that was in my hand. Here I am, I must die. And Saul said, May God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Must Jonathan die, who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. And then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Wow, quite a story in the Old Testament, but we, I think, I, I draw out a couple of uh, different marks of bold faith in the life of Jonathan here as we continue through chapters 13 and 14 to contrast and compare Jonathan's faith and Saul's folly. And the first mark of faith that we see in this section, I think, of bold faith, is that bold faith is intolerant of manipulation, okay? There are three steps to discover that, uh, that Jonathan's intolerance of manipulation that sets an example for us to be intolerant of, of human manipulation. First of all, this manipulation, it comes in the form of an oath and a curse. The, the Saul was asking the people to make this oath, this commitment to him, 
or else they would die, okay? And the, it's implemented. In, in verse 24, we pick up from verse 23. What, read verse 23. Verse 23 says, and the, So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond beth Aven. So we ended last week with the Israelites advancing against the Philistines. And this glorious victory that they were uh, involved in and participating in is now tempered by the grueling account of agony that they suffered in verse 24. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day. What day? The day of battle. Okay? They're hard-pressed on that day. Okay? They had encountered, and they, this was what they were experiencing as, as they went into battle. They were suffering. Once again, fall, uh, folly in, on the part of Saul was causing problems among the people. Chapter 13, verses 8 through 23, Saul's like, okay, I, I got to offer this sacrifice. And then he offered the sacrifice, and Samuel says, what are you doing? I told you to wait until I got here to offer the sacrifice. And now there's problems, and so all of the Israelites could no longer, they couldn't have their own weapons. They had to go to the Philistines to get their uh, their plows and their hoes sharpened and they didn't have they had two swords and two spears at least that's what it seems to indicate from the text so it was his problem so Saul's creating a problem again and it says in verse 24 now the men were hard pressed on that day now what I think is fascinating if you look at the text look at verse 24 the first phrase of verse 24 now the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day now go down to verse 28 and see the last phrase of verse 28 and the people were weary. Now you say, well, that's not the same thing. It is the same thing. It's basically the same idea. It's not the same wording. They were suffering under this. And in between, in between the first statement of verse 24 and the last statement of verse 28 is a recitation and a reiteration of certain points that bring into focus what he's trying to communicate. And that is that Jonathan broke the oath that Samuel or that Saul had put in place. And so I'll tease it out for you. Here we go. Hard pressed and weary because Saul selfishly insisted with some humanly devised, I think, oath that he thought would expedite the battle. He thought hunger and fear would motivate the people to really whoop up on the Philistines. Okay? You can't eat for fear of death until these Philistines are taken care of, until my enemy is, is defeated, until his enemy was defeated. And that's what he said. So he, you see the statement is they're hard-pressed, verse 24, very first. And then why was it that they were hard-pressed? Verse 24, the little word for there gives the reason. For Saul had put the people under a curse, under an oath, saying, cursed be the man. Now, if you went down to verse 28, the Second to the last phrase says, Cursed be the man who eats from the oath. So you see how he's, he's working his way down from they're hard-pressed and they're cursed and then they're tempted to eat. And then Saul, uh, or Jonathan eats and then they're hard-pressed and they're cursed and then they're weary. So it, it comes out in, in this way. So the contrast is between Sam, uh, Saul's spiritual bankruptcy and Jonathan's moral superiority. Jonathan is operating uh, fearing God and Saul is fearing men. So he says, notice that Saul wanted to attack his enemies. End of verse 24. Until I 
have avenged myself of my enemies. What's the focus? I avenge myself of my enemies. Now, I'm not going to go back there, but in chapter 14, verse 6, we said that, that Jonathan said, perhaps the Lord will deliver us from these uncircumcised. So Saul was fighting his enemies, and Jonathan is fighting God's enemies. He's got a perspective that's different. And so with Saul, without divine sanction, we don't hear anywhere where God gave him this order to do this, appealed to hunger and fear as motivation. And Jonathan is operating on the basis of honoring God and faith. Hunger and fear, honor God and faith. Humanly devised manipulation, God-dependent reliance on what God wants to do. Humanly contrived manipulation, not biblical-derived motivation, is a problem in relationships. Especially in the body of Christ. It's a problem in the body of Christ. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of this. Um, last week, evidently, there was a guy in New York uh, affectionately labeled Bishop Bling. And Bishop Bling, during his service, uh, was robbed of uh, the, the, the burglars came in during the service when he was preaching and robbed he and his wife of a million dollars of jewelry. That means on their person, they had a million dollars worth of jewelry. And when I heard that, the first thing I thought of was, how is it that you motivate your congregation to, uh, to, <laughs> to give to the point that you have can buy a million dollars worth of jewelry? Uh, now, that's just the way my mind works. And I, 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 there, I don't know the guy. I'm not saying anything. I, I don't know. You know, I'm not saying there was something wrong. But here's the deal. It would, it would be misguided, but not unheard of, especially in our culture, in our day, to promise people that their giving would result in their personal prosperity. I'm not saying that's the case, but it, it happens. That's human manipulation, okay, for the sake of personal benefit. So I ask, in the church of Jesus Christ, do we motivate people to punctuality? Remember the little story I told a couple weeks ago about the Romanian church that paraded people in front if they came in late, you know, so that everybody would shame them? Do we, do we motivate people to punctuality? Do we motivate people to a certain dress code? Do we motivate people to generosity, to service, or giving certain amounts of money with threats of humiliation? We're going to degrade you. We're going to demean you. Or maybe it's we're going to, you know, you'll be blessed beyond measure if you do certain things. See, it happens. You know how kids operate, right? They manipulate each other. Well, we're going to play my game. You're going to play my game. And if you don't play my game by my rules, then I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. Or I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party. Or you're not going to be my friend anymore. Well, you see, when we get old, older, um, we're a little more sophisticated in our manipulation, but just as sinister, you know, just as selfish. 
And we, we can manipulate people to say, in, in, the, in the church of Jesus Christ, you say, well, if, if, if you don't agree with my opinions, you know, uh, if, you don't, if you don't use the style of music that I like, you know, if the sanctuary lighting isn't exactly like I would like it, if you don't let me serve where I want to serve, even if I'm not gifted there, then guess what? I'm just not going to come. Or I'm going to criticize and I'm going to make fun of you and I'm going to talk bad about you. Or I'm just going to stop giving. Or I'll just show you I won't serve at all. And we fall into the same, the same trap. And notice, it, it's, Saul is like, my enemy, I'm going to defeat my enemy, myself. It's like, this is all about Saul. It seems to be. Now, again, I don't know. It seems to be more about Saul. But I see Jonathan completely different. There's not self-absorption. There's more of a focus on God. And so my calling and my challenge for me was to delight in, to desire, to demonstrate uh, Jonathan-style trust. Uh, see, Jonathan was oblivious to the humanly motivated uh, Manipulation. He didn't know anything about this manipulation. Jonathan was unconcerned about his own glory. He wasn't concerned about whether he is going to be king. He wasn't concerned about, he knew he wasn't going to be king. He wasn't concerned about that at all. He was serving. And he was focused on engaging God's enemy for God's glory with courage and wisdom. Instead of, am I going to look good? So let's abandon the, the Saul style of self-reliant manipulation and adopt Jonathan's style of dependence upon love. As we, as we live for, glory, for God's glory, each of you every day, we, we, you're parenting, you're at, on the job, you have parents, you know, you're interacting with other students, you're trying to live life in a way that is relying upon what God's word says and then live by faith in what God's word says instead of trying to be manipulated by what people say and their motivation. And remarkably, it says in the text that uh, none uh, of the people ate or tasted the food. There's fear for you. Despite the presence of, and the text says in verse 26, you have to see it. There was honey, okay? And then it says there was a flow of honey. So these people had been out fighting in a battle all day. They walk into the forest, and there's a veritable cheesecake factory buffet right in front of them. It's like, but we can't eat, or we're die, we'll die. They were famished from the battle. The Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7 says, um, to a, to a famished man, any bitter thing is sweet, uh, you know. But to a sated man, a sated man loathes honey. A full person doesn't really care about honey. But to a famished man, any bitter thing is sweet. And you understand that. You ever been really, really hungry? <laughs> it doesn't really matter what's in front of you. You're going to eat it. But if you're full, it's like, so you're not supposed to go shopping, you know, before supper. Because... <laughs> cart's going to be pretty full by the time you get to the end of the, you know. No, you're supposed to eat and then go shopping. So, oh, I don't care. 
Twinkies? No, no big deal. I don't care about that, you know. But if you're shopping before it, then Twizzlers and Twinkies and all that stuff finds its way into your cart because you, you want them. And so these people came out. They, they were not loathing the honey. They were, they were longing for the honey. They were starving. But fear, not faith, motivated Saul's troops. Fear, not faith, is what motivated his troops. And I think fear, not faith, has been the motivational factor for many in the church of Jesus Christ over the last two years. And I think it still is for, so, for too many. We're, we're operating on the basis of fear. Not on the basis of faith in God, but fear of man. What, what man has to say. So the, the, the oath was, was implemented. Then it was ignored in verses 27 and 28. You see, but, but Jonathan, notice the contrast, but Jonathan. The people, they didn't need but Jonathan. And it works this way down. They were hard-pressed because of the curse. There was honey to eat, but nobody ate it. But Jonathan reached down his staff because he didn't want to get stung by the bees. You know, reaches down in, in the honeycomb, tasted a little bit of that honey, and boom, his eyes, his eyes were, were brightened. Okay? Expected result, encouraging result. He was famished, nourished, and it, it responded, gave him strength. And in verse 28, one of the people informed Jonathan of the curse. So now we start working our way back up again. Oh, there's this curse thing. Now you have violated the oath and you deserve to experience the punishment of the curse. He brought upon himself. And then the conclusion says, and the people were weary. So it goes down to Jonathan and back up to the weariness. They were hard pressed, curse, honey, Jonathan eats, they didn't eat, Jonathan ate, curse. And now they're very weary. What's the point? The point is the structure exposes the foolishness of the selfish, manipulative, fear-based mandate and emphasizes Jonathan's faith and courage to do the right thing and and not to live in fear, but to live in faith and God-honoring faith in God. So in our parenting, in our uh, being a sibling, being a child of a parent, in our calling of an associate minister of youth, on the job, in sharing Christ with our neighbors, in how we use our finances, in every part of our life, I think that, that the example is that we should operate with faith in God according to his word. What does God's word say to us as a parent? What does God's word say to us as a, a student? What does God's word say to us as a child? What does God's word say to us as an employee or as an employer, as a parent, as a grandparent. And am I going to live by that or by what somebody else says? No. I hope we would live on the basis like Jonathan say, well, perhaps the Lord will work with us as I try to raise my kids to fear and honor Christ, as I try to take a stand for Jesus in my workplace, as I seek to share and pray about sharing the, the gospel with my neighbors and with my family. Perhaps the Lord will work with us. Maybe that would guide me. And not relying on human wisdom. Not like, well, wait a second. You know, if, 
if I, if I plan things just exactly right, when, when can I go outside when my neighbor's going to be there and then I'll, 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 I'll throw something over there and they'll find it and say, oh, I lost something. Are you lost? You know, and we can figure something, way to manufacture it. Instead of saying, you know, let's pray about this and perhaps the Lord will work with us on it and operate on the basis of faith and not fear. And the, the fear, not faith, is reached in the climax when, uh, you know, when, when he, he ignores it and he, he moves on. But then we see that Jonathan doesn't just, that, that this oath wasn't just implemented. It wasn't just ignored. But then finally, it's indicted. It's, it's condemned. And Jonathan condemns it in, uh, in verses 29 through 35. And there's two counts in which he condemns this oath. Look at verse 29 and 30. First, first of all, the oath is condemned because it hinders victory. And Jonathan argues, he says in verse 29, that Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. <laughs> see now how my eyes have brightened? Because I, see, look, I ate some of this and my eyes were brightened. How much better it would have been for us if we would have all along the way taken the spoil and used it to eat and gain nourishment. And then he comes to this conclusion and, and says in verse 30 he says for, for now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great it's not been great I mean lack of nutrition kept them from doing their best in battle some of you are aware that this last week the bunch of people were riding their bicycles across Iowa and Ragby, right? Okay, they're riding their bicycles across Ragby in Iowa. Well, one of the keys to actually being able to do that, other than training for it, is that you have to have proper hydration, water, and proper nutrition. And if you don't have either, uh, you're going to uh, fizzle out. You know, you're, you're not going to make it. And so these people had fizzled out, or they were about fizzling out, and they could have done more. The second indictment he brings against this oath was that it, it fueled their treachery. Now, Ajalon, the town that they went from Mishmash to Ajalon, um, different commentators have different. <laughs> it's all the way from either two miles to 20 miles <laughs> that they traveled a lot, you know, whatever. Uh, it was a long ways, okay? And it wasn't flat. It was rugged terrain. And so they had been famished by the battle over rugged terrain, and they were hungry, and when they got there, uh, after they were exhausted from fasting during the battle, they hastily prepared their food, and they were so hasty in preparing it, they didn't even worry about cooking it. They were just gobbling it up and sinning against God. That's how starving they were. It was General George S. Patton who said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Uh, when are you most prone to snap at your husband or your wife or your children? When are you most prone as a child to be less tolerant of your siblings? When are you most prone to be critical of your... When you're tired! It's like fatigue makes cowards of us all. Evening because it was evening, had exempted them from fasting, okay, so they were okay to eat, but they were so starving that they ate in a wrong way. They ate in a way that violated God, and it fueled their compromise. 
Some of you are here last week, and if you weren't, that's fine. I'm not criticizing you, but we had the privilege of hearing from Pablo and Bethany, our missionaries who serve in another, another country. And what was exciting to me was to hear the different ways that God had been leading them and the way that God was using them. Now, if CMML, which is the mission agency that they go with, if that agency had said, only if you do church planting, only if you work with other CMML missionaries, you can't work with anybody from another denomination, only if you do certain kinds of ministry, you can't do music, and you certainly can't do sports if you want to get a paycheck. Now, if CMML had said that, I would submit that their ministry would be supremely hampered and perhaps even fuel compromise. It doesn't justify compromise, but might fuel compromise. And the exciting thing was to hear how God had led, you know, like Pablo. It's like, yeah, I really didn't want to work with youth, you know, but God kept telling him, here, give you these opportunities to work with young people, you know. And so God was working by faith, not by man-made manipulation. You can only do it this way, but by the Spirit-led and, and the Word of God-led service and ministry. That, that's exciting to me. Then Saul, commendably, I mean, you've got to give him credit, right, where credit is due. Because they were sinning against God, he says, okay, bring a big stone here, and we'll slaughter the animals on the stone. The blood will run off, and we'll, you can prepare it properly. And then, uh, we don't know this end of verse 35, he offers a he builds an altar, you know, and you go, what's that about? Well, probably out of gratitude and as a memorial for the victory that they've got, he, he builds an altar. But then it says this, it's the first one he built. Like, well, okay. So the leaders build altars kind of frequently, okay, as memorials, as offering of time of thanks, not necessarily to offer the sacrifices. That, I don't think, was a part of it, but he, he hadn't done this, which testifies or speaks a little bit to his uh, lack of piety, his lack of, of, of really worshiping God. And so bold faith is intolerant of manipulation. It just follows God's word, not, not man's word. And, and secondly, we see that bold faith illustrates and incites devotion. Um, and this is maybe a little bit complicated, but there's a couple of actions that I see in Jonathan's life that, that validate this. First of all, Jonathan is, is discovered to be the culprit. And I read you the story, and you, you remember how it went down. Uh, Saul, uh, he's empowered, right? They, they ate, they got a full belly, and uh, the taste of victory. And so Saul says, let's just keep going. And let's go through the night, and we'll, we'll conquer them at night, and we'll take over, and won't leave any of them left. And uh, how do the people respond? Oh, whatever you think. That's okay. That's good. But the problem was, uh, God didn't think so. <laughs> At least God didn't answer. Uh, in fact, it wasn't even Saul's idea to ask God. Saul had an idea, I'm going. And then the priest kind of goes, uh, well, time out. This is my interpretation of it, okay? So it didn't actually say this. Uh, think we should ask God? And maybe Saul had that in mind, I don't know. But anyhow, they... In verse 37, uh, verse 36, the end of verse 36, so the priest said, uh, let us draw near to God. And so that's what they did. They, they drew near to God, and Saul says, should, I, should, I, should we go up? And nil, nothing, nothing from God. Which it seems from the text that that triggered in Saul's mind there must be some guilt among the people 
that would keep God from answering us. And so then we read in verse 38, and Saul said, draw near here all of you chiefs and peoples and investigate and see how this sin has happened today. So he's believing, I think, that sin had kept God from answering the question that he asked, should we go up? He didn't know what sin, he isn't not saying particularly, but I wanna know what if there's a sin and, and what that might be, okay? Draw here, near here and see how this sin happened. And he was determined to discover the offense and the offender and punish the offender. And we see in verse 39 how serious he was about it. She says, for as the Lord lives. Now this is like a um, you know, swearing on, on a Bible or something. Like It's like this is going to happen. It's all in the time of, of life and death situations. As the Lord lives, who delivered Israel, though it is in Jonathan my son... He will surely die. I don't care who it is. I'm going to find him and they're going to punish him. On the matter, the Lord was silent as to whether they should go up. But on the matter of who it was, God was not silent. Because we see here that they, his idea was, okay, we'll separate people out. and We'll, we'll cast lots. They had the Urim and the Thummim. The, the priests would do this stuff where they would decide who was at fault. And he... The people said, yeah, that's a good idea. Jonathan Saul over here, the rest of the people over here, whatever you, whatever you think. The lot was cast to Jonathan. Okay? So he was found out. God didn't shield Jonathan intentionally. He, he knew it. He knew it. But see, interestingly enough, what did the people say when it was like, who, who's responsible for this? It doesn't say this in the text, but it seems that, uh, well, it does say that the people didn't say anything, okay? The people, the people were silent. But what we know is that I think that they were probably supportive of Jonathan and not Saul. It's like, we, we appreciate this guy. He's stepping out in faith. We're not so sure about the Saul guy, but uh, so we're, and we know that if we expose Jonathan, who ate from the honey against the oath, that he's going to be punished with his life. And so I think they were, they were silent. But God exposed it. Okay, this is now, now, so who's the culprit? Jonathan. Okay, story's over. No, story's not over. Because God had some other plan. And this is the second part of the story. Jonathan's delivered. Not only was he discovered to be the culprit, but he's delivered from the consequence. Saul's instruction is, tell me what you've done. And this is, this is verse 43. He says, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Okay, young people. Mom says, Okay, tell me what you did. I didn't do anything. Nothing. Wasn't me. No. Tell me what you've done. I ate some of the honey. And I deserve to die. Talk about integrity. Talk about honesty. Talk about somebody who's walking by faith, not by fear. It's like this is his dad. And he knows the consequence. And he owns up to it. I must die. His integrity and humility, he was trusting God. In the face of grave injustice, it wasn't his fault. He didn't even know about it. But he said, okay, that's it. 
he, ex he exercised courage. He was confident because he believed in a God who was able to save by many or by few. That's, I think. So then Saul's condemnation comes in a very, very solemn oath in verse 44. He says, and Saul said, may God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. It's over. I mean, what else, what else can you do? But it wasn't over because the conclusion is in verse 45. And the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die who has brought about this great deliverance for Israel? Okay, all the way along. Saul, you wanna, uh, he wants to go in the night and, uh, and we're going to go up and beat the Philistines. And what do they say? Sure, go for it. Okay, somebody sinned. God didn't tell us whether we should go up and beat the Philistines. Uh, can you give me an idea? Uh, uh, we, I got this idea. We'll cast lots and find out who did it and we'll punish them. And the people say, okay, we're down with that. That's good. We'll go ahead and do it. Then they find out that it's Jonathan and we're going to off him because he violated a command that he didn't know about and the people say ain't happening it's not going to happen in in the text uh, of scripture in verse 45 they ask must jonathan die who brought about this great victory and deliverance for israel and so the gross injustice that was about to be perpetrated on jonathan tipped the scale and they said what, what what's the response in verse 45 it says, far from it. <laughs> the NIV says, never. I may be a little stretched, but here it says, far from it. As the Lord lives, notice that that was used earlier by, by Saul, as the Lord lives, this is going to happen. They said, no, as the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. It's like, major pushback it's like this is not happening Saul you're not going there we're, we're, it's not going to happen and the pushback was compelling but why the pushback the reason for their devotion to Jonathan is stated there in verse 45 it says that shall not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground for he has worked with God this day his life was an illustration of bold faith in a great God, in a big God. And they saw that, and they said, you can't rob us of that. This guy is living out what it means to trust God in a really, really uh, bold way. And we're not going to put up with you trying to you know, take him out for that. And so it was an illustration of his devout devotion to God, but it was also something that incited them not to fear God too, and also to support God's people, God's person. And so I say, for you and me, what's the lesson here? Hey, if we live a bold faith in a big God, then we illustrate and we demonstrate to the people around us. Now, it may not always work out like it did for Jonathan. Our lives may not always be saved. But we point people and they say, well, that guy or that gal is walking with God, and I believe him. And I'll support him. Now, I don't know, regardless of what you think of Mike Lindell, he's a guy who's like uh, standing up for his faith. And you know who Mike Lindell is, that's fine. He's the My Pillow guy. He invented, you know, the My Pillow thing. But he's a bold Christian. 
And you know how, I don't know anything about all of his theology or whatever, but I do know that I believe that he has a relationship with Christ. And he's standing up and he's paying. He's being doxxed. He's being canceled. You know, all, all a bunch of major uh, chains that would sell his products. They said, no, we're not selling your products anymore. He's being an example of bold faith. Now, he may not be somebody you want to follow, but there are people that you would follow. And you say, look, this is, this is what it means. Saul conceded. And I want you to look at the language that it says in verse, verse 45. It says, and the people rescued Jonathan. Some of your versions say that the people ransomed Jonathan. There was a ransom that took place. The arguments and the, the arguments that they made delivered him from death. That's what happened. And I would submit to you that if you're here this morning listening or you're here in in person, that God's presence and God's promise that he gave back in chapter 12 to to care for and provide for and show favor to his people and his power to work is given to his people. And in the same way that Jonathan delivered the people from the Philistines, in the same way that the people delivered Jonathan from the death that would come to him from Saul, they ransomed him, These things point us ahead to the only one person who would give us deliverance from that which would cause our permanent death because all of this was just temporary deliverance. And that person is Jesus who ransomed us when he died on the cross and paid the price that we deserve to pay so that we could live free from our sins and free from the penalty and the power of sin if we would put our faith or our trust in what he did on the cross as the payment for our sins and and believe that he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And if you haven't done that, my challenge to you is to do it. Because only then will you be delivered fully and finally. And if you know Christ as your Savior, then to me it's like, okay, where is my faith? Is it in what man says? I'm, I'm motivated by hunger and fear of men or am I motivated to honor God in faith with a faith that irritates the opposition sometimes faith that identifies uh, what's false devotion a faith that would be used by God so that I could ignore obstructions that I would implement a plan that I would inspire other people that I would be intolerant of manipulation and that I would be a person who illustrates devotion and incites other people to follow in the name of Jesus. And so this morning as we, uh, as we end, I think about the, the person of Jesus and just as the, the people defended Jonathan and ransomed him, the Lord's death ransomed us and we remember that when we take the bread and the cup the ransom that he paid. And when we think about the ransom that he paid for our sin, that we do not deserve my sin, not in part, as we sang it, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I remember it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a time for us to reflect on what God has done so that we can be free. It's a time to, to recognize that it's my sin that put him there. It's a time to repent of any sin that's in my life right now and confess it to him and get it right before God. And then it's a time to rejoice 
that by his grace, I'm free and free. Forever I'm free. And so as you sit there and as the praise team plays, uh, as you prepare your heart to come up front or go in the back and take the elements, search your heart and reflect and recognize that your sin has put him there and repent and then rejoice and come and partake as you feel led by, your gra- by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for people like Jonathan who point us in a direction of, of depending upon you, our God who is worthy. And as we depend upon you and live by faith, it is works out for our good, but ultimately for your glory. I pray that you give us grace and strength to, to live by faith in these troubling times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.